And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Greetings and welcome to Starkville. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Mike Chard is coffee. At Starbucks with a double latte, skinny. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. <laughs> Greetings and welcome to Starkville. Now part of the athletic baseball show where you'll find great baseball talk. All week long and all postseason long. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for The Athletic. And I am joined yet again by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, and the voice of Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN Radio, Doug Glanville. Doug, how are you, my friend? I am doing great, man. Doing great. You know, every Monday I'm usually flying from somewhere. And I'm delirious, uh, and I think yeah. that just makes for a better show. So I'm I'm game. <laughs> okay, let's look for Doug's deliriosity as we go along. We have a great show today. Our friend Dave Sims, the awesome voice of the Seattle Mariners, will join us to talk about the end of the longest postseason drought in North American professional sports. Twenty-one years down the drain. Uh, and uh, Doug, I want to ask you about the series that you just covered this weekend, Braves. Mets. But first, we have a way more important matter to discuss. Are you ready, Doug? I'm ready. I'm totally ready. Here's the question. Is mm-hmm. there such a thing as a Starkville curse? Now, I know we've laughed about this in the past, but it's it's time that we need to get to the bottom of this because let's review the last week. Uh, last week on this show, we had Tom McCarthy and Scott Fransky, the uh, Phillies' two great play-by-play men, to talk about what looked at the time to be the Phillies cruising into the playoffs, which would mean the demise of another postseason drought. Uh, Phillies not playing a postseason game since 2011. Things were looking good, Doug. And then what happened? They went to Chicago for three games. Just to review, how many of those three games at Wrigley Field did they win, Doug? That would be zero, uh, and that's their season total against the Cubs, unfortunately, for the Phillies. Right, that, right. Yes. So they got swept. And so as we discuss this, we're going to ignore the part where the Phillies then beat up on the Nationals over the weekend and got themselves back in position to win that final NL wildcard spot. Uh, think about that sweep in Chicago. Here's what I need to know. Was that sweep about them, or was it about – us was it about the curse of Starkville you know I in positive thinking world I think it's not so much we curse someone 
we might have what's the opposite of a curse anyway a charm i don't know charm Let's think about uh, yeah yeah i think we charmed the cubs i think that's what happened how uh um, we never even talked know. about the cubs well maybe because i you know i have cubs blood you know so i think somehow you, yeah you it, could it, you, you could you definitely have a little phillies and cubs karma that you could affect at any given moment yeah so i'm, I'm trying to think positively i think we just positively affected the cubs it, it right. was it was just by some sort of osmosis or some sort of process. Uh-huh. So, yes. Okay, so, okay. so that... All right. Well, yeah. that's possible, but so here's we're, the we're thing. Charmers. Here's we're the charmers. thing, though. We, yeah, we are charmers. That's what they always say about us. But, see, we've had a bunch of these. Uh, the first one that came to mind was last year. Uh, the Remember, the Royals got off to a great start. I think they were even in first place. So we invited our friend Rex Hudler to join us. And right after that, didn't they lose something like 16 in a row? I don't know. I didn't look it up, but it felt like 16 or 50 or something in a row. Then, all right, then we had uh, this year earlier, we had Perry, or Man- we had Perry Manassi and the Angels GM. He was on with us. They were hot. Uh, how'd that turn out for them after he was on the show? Yeah. You know, like, we, so, right. So, well, in those cases, in, in the case of the Royals, we charmed the American League Central, except for the Royals. And then we charmed the Houston Astros when Perry came on. So, you know, that's okay. It's still, it's still positive. Uh-huh. All yeah. right. Well, I don't, I don't think anything of what you're saying makes any sense. But I will say that despite all the suspicious circumstantial evidence, it's just circumstantial. That's all it is. If charged, I will always plead not guilty of this stuff. Uh, you know, they, people are always accusing me of like of stuff like jinxing no-hitters. I'm just going to say in response to this what I tell those people. I never threw a pitch. Not guilty. Okay? All right. Now, one more thing before we bring in Dave Sims. Uh, you were just in Atlanta. You watched the Braves sweep the Mets. Uh, it was incredible to watch. The Mets lined up. Jacob DeGrom, Max Scherzer, Chris Bassett to pitch those three games, seal first place. Instead, all three of those guys got beat up, and now it's the Braves who are in first place. So the Mets held at least a share of first for 175 days, according to baseball reference. They're not going to finish first. Uh, They once led the East. By ten and a half games. That was back on June first, and they're not going to win the division. And that's going to make them the first team to race out to a lead that large. So, in other words, ten and a half or larger, and then not finish in first since the nineteen ninety five Angels. So, all right, you were there. Here's my question: We know the Braves have basically played like the Dodgers now over the last four months. That's how hot they've been. But if the Mets watched a ten and a half game lead disappear on them, are the people listening to this, are they authorized to use the word collapse to describe what happened to the Mets? This is important, Doug. Think carefully before you speak. I'm going to say no. I, I Collapse is just... I don't know what the Mets record in that period. Maybe it wasn't as stellar. What was it? Uh, it wasn't like okay. It wasn't like the Padres last year or something. Y- 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 no, not at all. Um, from June first until the Braves chased them down over the weekend, the Mets played at a ninety-six win pace. 
So in other words, if they had that winning percentage for the whole season, they'd win 96 games. They had the fifth best, best record in baseball over those four months. There were only four teams that had a better record than them, and the Braves still caught them. So, like, I've spent my, my almost my whole life living in Philadelphia. I know what collapses look like. <laughs> they don't look like this to me. But, all right, so I just gave you the facts. What do you think? So, so no, it, it's it's just not a collapse. And when you have a team as good as the Braves have been, it's it's just hard to stop them. They have been unconscious. And you look at, you know, when that happened. I know in May when Swanson started hitting, Dansby Swanson started hitting, Michael Harris eventually came up. I mean, you have Austin Riley, you have Acuna, you have Albies who's hurt, but then you get other guys like Arcia. I mean, everybody in that lineup is dangerous. And although they strike out a lot, they hit a ton of home runs. And I mean, yes, the fact that this weekend we we witnessed the Braves hit home runs off of DeGrom, many of them, home runs off of Scherzer, yeah. Bassett. I mean, those are you know three incredible top flight pitchers that they beat. So you have to be really good to be able to do that consistently. And by the way, the Mets may still win a hundred games. I mean, that's a great season. And Buck Showalter, you know, talking to Buck, he was like, he's like, come on, you know, you come into a year and you still win a hundred games. That is a fantastic season. That's hard to do. And, um, you know, you have to tip your cap to the Braves. The Braves bullpen has been unbelievable, especially after they got Iglesias. He comes in and just giving up one run in like whatever, 30 innings or something. <clears throat> you have, um, you know, you just have such a good pitching staff that, um, you know, that knows how to close games out. And then you have the, the hitters that have struggled in September, the guys who've played every day, like Riley or Olsen or Swanson, they they put it all together when it counted. And now this past week, they're, they're unconscious. So good timing as well. So I, I you can't call it a collapse. You just think the Braves ran them down. And the Mets are still a phenomenal team, but they're going to have a harder road. Most likely, they're not going to hit you know. a lot harder. Hey, this is yeah. a, this is a huge thing. I, you know, I wrote something a few weeks ago that if they didn't finish first, then it put them. It really reminded me of the Dodgers last year. Okay, where the Dodgers, like they won 106 games, but didn't couldn't chase down the Giants, and so like that last weekend of the regular season, they pitched. Let me think about this. Kershaw, Urias, and Bueller trying to win the division. It didn't get them there. Then they go play the wild card game. You had to use Max Scherzer and five relievers and win on the last pitch. Then they play this exhausting wild or division series against the Giants. That goes down to the last pitch. Have to use Max Scherzer relief. Then have to fly across the country three times in a week playing the Braves. They lose the first two. Now they're back on a plane across the country. And it was that ex- it exhausted them. And the Mets now fall into exactly the same pattern because even if they survive the wild card series, now they've got to fly out to LA and they're going to be back and forth trying to survive. It's This is a lot. This is a lot to have to deal with. And using up bullets for DeGrom and Scherzer, that's like the, the consequences of this are enormous. But is it a collapse? Now, I had to contemplate this. I was writing an awards column, and I, Buck, you know, when I first write the, the first draft of the column, Buck Showalter is my National League Manager of the Year. The, and then 
the Mets go out and get swept. And so I had to contemplate what did that mean? But I don't think they collapsed. I looked up the definition of collapse. Like there's a bunch of them, but it's stuff like to fall, to cave in, to crumble, <laughs> right. to break down. Like that, that that's not what happened here. The 2007 Mets, they collapsed, okay? The 2022 Mets, not a collapse. Now, not a good weekend, get that? But here at Starkville City Hall, we are decreeing that all uses of the word collapse to describe the 2022 Mets will result in a fine or probation plus a ban from purchasing future pie at the Starkville Diner. I think that sounds pretty fair That's and fair. just and, to me. And by the way, like if if this was another era, they would have not even made the playoffs. They, only one team would have made it, and they would have been home. Then that would and have been that would that would have been different. They're still alive, so yeah, they're breathing. <laughs> they're, they're breathing hard, but they're breathing. <laughs> uh, so that that's my ruling. Sounds pretty fair and just Sounds to me. Good. Do we have yeah. a gavel? Can we sound uh, that gavel? Okay. But um, yeah, ga- we can gavel it. Judge Aaron Judge has spoken. All right. The gavel has sounded. Case dismissed. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, time to welcome in this week's special visitor to Starkville. It's our longtime friend and one of the great broadcasters in the game. The voice of the Mariners on Route Sports Northwest, Dave Sims. Dave, welcome to Starkville. Hey, back, it's great to be back in the presence of some <laughs> Philly guys. Yeah, I'm right. at home. What's the cheesesteak from Delisandro's? Henry Evans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. It's lunchtime here. Stop it. <laughs> you know, Dave, you sneaked into Starkville a couple months ago when I was out of town, but we, we couldn't wait to bring you back. And, and not just because we love talking to you, but because something special has been happening in Seattle. Friday night, you got to capture that moment. So uh, before we even get going, let's relive that moment. What a lot of anxious folks out here at the ballpark. 3 2 to Cal. The pitch from Acevedo. A drive deep to right field. Down the line. The Mariners win this game 2 to 1. The dream lives. They're going to the playoffs. The drought is over. Cal Raleigh. Wow. Hey now. Hey now. Hey now. Fantastic. Show a little excitement, will you? <laughs> All right, that was Cal Raleigh becoming the first player in the history of baseball 
to hit a pinch hit walk off home run to clinch a playoff spot for his team. But as you guys know, not just any playoff spot, the Mariners first in 21 years. So Dave, tell us what that moment was like for you. I, it exhilaration that you dream of and it's really happening. I mean, <laughs> oh my God. You do. I mean, I remember doing broadcasting board games back in Philly when I was eight, nine years old, trying to be Bill Campbell, you know, and, you know, the, and then playing in the, you know, playing stickball. I got to call something like this, something momentous. But people have asked me a couple of times, what did you prepare? I didn't prepare anything. I mean, I thought about, it's like from my newspaper days, Jason, you got to write a bullet and lead. And that's what that was. You know? Yeah. And I wanted to make sure, hey, to get the ingredients in, and I know it's going to be high energy, but make sure you get the facts right. And a couple of lines there, you know, the, the dream lives, you know, they're going through the playoffs, the drought is over. I mean, I, 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 try, I summed it up. And thankfully, you know, I didn't script anything. It wasn't going to be something uh, Francis Ford Coppola or anything like that. But <laughs> you, wanted to, you wanted to make sure you touched the elements and, 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 and I, you were raised right and I was trained right so came out came out well yeah you know I was thinking you've been calling games in every sport for a long time but you'd never had a chance to do that right be like be on the mic as a team you covered did something like that yeah that's an excellent point when I did my NFL days I did 18 19 years on Westwood one and I did NFC and AFC championship games uh, I did uh, NCAA tournament games, teams that would win their elite eight game to get to the final four. But like I said, when Felix threw a, his perfecto back in 12, 2012, August was it August 12, August 15 of 2012. It was my team. It was a team I worked for, you know, guys I'm friendly with that. I have a business, you know, yeah. friendly slash business relationship with an organization. We're paid from the same trough and you know, this these are my guys. This is my team. This is my region. And let it fly, man. Yeah. And and guys like you become the soundtracks for those moments. And I, I love that the Mariners recognize that. And so they posted and, and not just your call of that home run and what it sounded like, but the video of what it looked like in the booth as you called it. Uh, have you watched that video? And have you thought about how the call and and even that video could resonate through the years in Seattle. Um, we started that last year with, they put a little GoPro in front of us, uh, Tim Walsh right. and his crew. He came in social media, uh, director, uh, came in from the Mets, a long Island guy. And when we were making a run late last year in that last week, 10 days, knowing, you know, what was it safe to end the drought? He wanted to document that forever. And what better way to do that? Then they have a GoPro recorded. So they have one on radio, they had it on TV. So when I'm on radio, I switch back and forth with Rick Riz on the TV, it's on me. And the re I'm still getting reaction from last year, the yeah. Hanniger two run uh, single to take the lead against the Angels in game 161 to keep us alive going into Sunday. And then the game was over in the first inning, but that's all another story. <laughs> so they come back and do it again this year once we were, once it looked like that this could happen. And the re guys, the reaction on tw on Twitter, especially Twitter, but all of the social media has been phenomenal from 
obviously people who are Mariner fans who I'm getting these, yeah, I've waited all my life for this. You know, you're the voice of a generation. Da, 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 da. It's been, it's been amazing. It's been mind blowing. It really has been. I mean, the, the number of views and that's, I'd have to ask my son what that, those numbers are about, but it's, it's a significant viewership. Well, Dave, I mean, you also embrace a, a, a city, you know, there's something always cultural about working somewhere, playing somewhere for many years. Can you talk yeah. about how Seattle as a culture is kind of fused into this team and then this particular moment? Yeah, remember, let's date us all. Remember at the end of uh, the TV show last year, people were like begging, we want a winner. We want to get to the playoffs. We want to do something significant. We want to go deep. And this is a region just starved for that. I mean, they had a nice run, 95 to like a 102. And then been a lot of hit or miss and, and more miss than hit, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, you know, since I've been here, uh, let's see, uh, last year, 21 was close. 18 was close. 16 was close. 14 had a run. But and 07, but the, the years I left out, yeah, those numbers don't bear repeating. So <laughs> to have this really and have that release the way it was the other on Friday night, it, it, people are buzzing. I mean, it, I, I come in the elevator, you know, coming to the apartment in the elevator, and people, are, hey, it just reverberates all through. And you know, I turn on the TV and anchor people who probably don't know baseball from football, and they're going, hey, how about those murders? Hey, you know, everybody's, you know, all of a sudden everybody's got Mariner fever, which is good. I'm, I'm not, I'm not knocking it, but it's just so funny. I mean, when if, if it's not going well, a segment, they don't even want to know you exist. But, you know, you got your your hardcore fans. They have multiplied significantly. You, you know, the scene in the ballpark Friday, the emotion in the park. Uh, this is one of my favorite things about being at a ballpark when something like that happens is people don't want to leave. They want to freeze that moment. They don't want, they don't, like if they leave, they start to lose that feeling. So they just want to stay. How long were people there that night? I, I let's see the game. I, I don't remember what the TOG was, but it was not that long a game. So I finished on TV, went over to radio and, and just was like, whoa, <laughs> look at this. And the guys had already been inside and we had a live camera inside. So we saw when they opened up the bottles, they said, are you ready? And all of a sudden, just <laughs> all over the place. And, you know, and you know, a lot of these guys, they were working on empty stomachs. So the guys were getting hammered. It was great. It was great. So the Scott service comes out. And the fan, like you said, Jason, nobody left. And then at that 10, 15 minutes left. So 10, 15 minutes, that's a long time to stand there, right? So here come the guys. And then a roar, jet engine kind of roar. And Scott Service took the mic and they said, hey, we couldn't do it without you. But right now, let's party. <laughs> not, so it's like, oh, this is so cool. Uh, this is a moment that people have waited for. This is a moment that people, that, you know, they're going to be telling their grandkids. I mean, that's some of the stuff that people have been tweeting to me about. Um, uh, and even guys in the business that, that tweet. I got a couple of Sean Casey said, hey, brother, I watched that thing eight times, man. I got Chills, brother. You know, <laughs> so I get a lot of that from guys in the business too, which is really cool. Yeah, let, let, let's dig into this for a second. You know, I, I talk about this all the time. When teams do what the Mariners just did, what they're doing, uh, it, it's not just a sports experience. It's a life experience for thousands of people, maybe millions of people. 
When you think about two decades of not seeing a postseason game, uh, we know we're from Philadelphia. It takes its toll on the psyche of real human beings, like in real life. So do you think you can put into words what you think this team and these postseason games will mean to Seattle? Well, they will have a memory etched in their soul like the nightmare, like it was interesting coming into the last couple three weeks when we were coming out of stretch and oh, you guys are in them and I'm, guys around the country called, Hey, congratulations. I said, dude, <laughs> we'll be in when we're in. I was 11 in 1964, six and a half with 12 to play. Does that ring a bell? <laughs> and until we clinch, that's that I'm holding out and then I'll go nuts. And I think now that they've gotten over that hump, they're going to, I think people are going to remember pretty much every detail in that game. And obviously Cal, you know, Cal never has to buy a Drake in this town again, ever. Um, uh, Cal Raleigh, um, and he had a great season, 26 home runs. They've still got four games to play. Uh, this is a memory that's going to be passed down. I mean, it's like giant fans back in, as a matter of fact, today is October 3rd. It's the anniversary of uh, Bobby Thompson's shot heard around the world. The Dick Stockton's of the world who were fans back then, who are still with us, remember that. And these these folks are going to remember this for the next 50, 60 years. Yeah, it's a, and Dave, some, what about the relationships? You know, you you get to know these players well, and, and some, you know, longstanding. Someone like Scott Service, for example, that was my teammate. He was my teammate in Chicago. And uh, what, what I've learned about Scott, I hadn't talked to him over the years, this year is that how much he paid his dues to learn all facets of the industry. He was a scout. He did player development, you know, and it seems to have come together now where he's, you know, not only got the personnel, but able to, you know, really understand how to employ all those skill sets he has now. So what, what's it been like to, yeah, sort of get to know him and then in this moment, you know, sharing it together. I I think that one of the things that he's done as he's come up with the seventh year and learning how to, his people skills, not that they were bad or anything, but they've certainly evolved over this time. And he's always stressing, hey, be yourself. You know, you know, if, if you're a wild and crazy guy, as long as you show up on time, run hard four, you know, four times and you know, make catches and die, you know, all that kind of stuff. But he he embraces that. And it was interesting the other day when he said about Eugenio Suarez, who who I find is and we all find to be an absolutely delightful human being, funny. His English as his second language is fantastic. Great sense of humor. Keeps everybody loose. Keeps everybody like, come on, enjoy this. Have fun. He and um, Carlos Santana are big in that department. Julio Rodriguez big in that department. Then the other thing I told Scott a couple about, I think the preview or next to last homestand. I said, I got to tell you, I waited, you know, the usual media scrum. And I like to, I learned this from from Frank Dolson to drop the name of one of the late greats. (laughs) Dick Young. You know, hey, I got to get my own stuff. I don't want to just get the, you know, I want my own nuggets so I can put it on the air. And that's for me that I I, I went for. I said, I got to tell you something. Been doing this for almost 50 years. And you're handling yourself with the media on a daily basis, come win or lose. You're doing a heck of a job. And I don't just say that to anybody. So I said, thanks. It means a lot. And I've seen a lot of a lot of the good ones, a lot of the bad ones that work over over this period of time. He's done a heck of a job. And it just made Justin Hollander, the GM, Jerry DePoto, <clears throat> excuse me, the president of baseball ops. Those three guys, those they're like a three musketeers, man. They're they're tight. 
they have a plan, they know what they want to do. They've got the analytics department and the, the, you know, the people that keep everybody in shape, the physical, you know, physical fitness crew, all facets of the organization, baseball wise on the field, they've done a heck of a job. They really have. You have to give them a lot of, a lot of credit. Yeah. They, they, they had a vision for this moment and how yes, long they, they thought it would take and exactly when they could, they, they could uh, do stuff like the Luis Castillo deal. Uh, Jerry's made a lot of trades. I, I think that deal for Luis Castillo was probably the most impactful, most important trade any team made at the deadline. Uh, you should know Doug loves Luis Castillo, but you could tell us what what has he meant to uh, this team, and what do you, what do you know about him now that you didn't know when he walked in the door? You know, I just knew I'd, I'd only seen him on highlights. I was like, man, this guy's pretty good. And then they start hearing rumors about, you know, he's available. You know, Cincinnati's not going anywhere. And the first thing, of course, I, I thought of uh, Cash and the Yankees. I'm thinking, oh, geez. And I get, you know, friends up there and they say, yeah, we're going to get him. And next thing I know, the Mariners have him. I was like, you got to be kidding. And when you, you look at this guy out on the mound, it's like, that's a dude right there. He's got presence. He is maxing out, he's fearless. And he's coming right at you, and and he's got he's got the goods. He's got ninety eight, you know, ninety nine, sink two, four. I mean, he's got the whole thing, man. So he's the number one. I mean, he's starting on Friday. I mean, <laughs> wherever we are, we're at home. We're in Toronto. He's he's starting. He is the dude. And you you got, you want to ride a guy like that, Robbie Ray. Was the dude last year in the American League wins a Cy Young Award? Had a bad day yesterday against the A's. I'm sure if, if we go to Toronto, <laughs> you know he'll be mentally prepared, mentally ready to rock and roll. So I, I think, uh, you know, and you guys know in short series, especially the best of three, man. If you got two studs that you can throw at people, the scoring's going to be at a minimum. You got to feel pretty good about that. But Luis Castillo, I'm, I'm telling you, the presence alone. I haven't spoken to him in a great deal, but the little bit, the, the sincerity, you know, he's got that, as, as late Marty Schottenheimer says, he's got that gleam in the eye, boys. <laughs> you know, and it, it's definitely a guy you want to ride with. Yeah. You know, I just wrote my awards column and uh, I, you'll be shocked to learn that I thought the rookie of the year in the American League is a guy named Julio Rodriguez. I, <laughs> I, I don't know how we got this deep into this conversation without mentioning him, but like one of the points I wanted to make about that guy was that he's not just a rookie. He's a star. Oh, uh, you know, like now he's been out with that back thing. It's concerning, but I mean, you've had a chance to watch it. Uh, how would you describe that star power that's written okay. all over him and what it's meant to this team? Let me, let me start by saying this. You can watch Julio for about in, in action take you two, three minutes. If you're not coming away smiling, something's wrong with you. Yeah. I mean, and you're, you're going to refer, you're going to know what I'm referencing. He reminds the joy and showing the potential to be like 21, 24, and 24. Clemente, Hayes, Griffin. He has that kind of possibility in front of him. He's physically 6'4", 225, 230. He's one of the best base stealers in the game. First half, they turn him loose. They sort of shut him down the second half. But look for him to run uh, in the playoffs if, if there's a money bag that they have to get. His exuberance, I mean, he's not, 
he he's got style. He's got panache. I mean, he's got he's got everything that the great ones have: confidence without being ridiculously braggadocious. Uh, it's a it's a it's friendly. It's warm. It's loving. He's got the whole package. And believe me, as an old, as an old newspaper writer, you know we you know we don't throw those terms around. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we don't throw those terms around. Uh, you know, generously, but this kid, he had, and, and as let's just go back to, he's, he has the it factor. He can play. He's got five tools. We're thinking we knew he could mash a little bit, but I thought he was a corner outfielder. See him in center field in spring training. I'm thinking, are you kidding? He's going gap to gap. No problem. Got a cannon for an arm. He had a home run that hit into an entertainment area down at Peoria and left field. <laughs> it was like, Excuse me, want a little baseball with your martini? Then he hit one. We saw him hit one opposite field. And I, I was on a telecast with Mike Flowers. Julio gets one on the right. Yeah, let's go. said, Mike, he's making this team, okay? There's no equivocation. There's no, he's making this team. And the 44 jersey is going to be the number one selling in Seattle, if not the country. I don't know about the country, but I know it's number one here in Seattle. Yeah, and I mean, I had a chance to talk to Scott. I saw him earlier in the season. Well, first I saw him in spring training, um, beat up on the Cubs, and then yeah. um, he, I think he hit a home run to lead off the game. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, so, he did. He had a massive. Yeah, so home I remember run that. So I was like, "Who's this guy?" Right, and then uh, and and that's a, you know, that was actually the day I picked the Mariners to make the postseason. So I was like, "All right, these guys." So I, I got that. Oh, right. good for you. But the the other thing was seeing him against San Diego, where he hit one in the the metal shop down the left field line or whatever uh, on the third oh, it almost went oh. on the roof and yeah. so i talked to scott service about it first word he said was joy you know he said joy but the other thing he talked about was his aptitude his ability to learn and be open to just take in an input and actually apply it right away i mean he was stunned by how quickly he could just adapt and, and sort of apply new information um and so it was cool. Yeah, yeah so that it's, was something. Unbelievable. Yeah. And, and, and to add to that, Jason, in the first part, I want to say first month, he got no benefit of the doubt if a ball was close on the corners. He got none. Incredible. And he was getting screwed. And I like the umpires. Don't get me wrong. I've met a bunch of them. They're good dudes. But it was like they were testing him. And I said, if, this, if, if he gets thrown out of a couple of games, you know what? He will have said his piece. He will have, you know, like to you, but, 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 you know, that whole thing. He just turned. He might have said a word or two on every occasion. And then it was like things changed in early May. And he and he knows the strike zone. It's the old, if Mr. Mays thought it was a strike, he would have swung at it. <laughs> same, with, same with him now. And boy, once, once he got over that, it was up and up and onward, man. It was, but again, to see a kid 21 years old, he was getting jobbed. Let's just say it. He was getting jobbed. And I, there's a stronger word I'd use, but we won't use it on your podcast. <laughs> but um, it was bad. And he survived it and, and came away. I mean, you know, just oh, off the chart. I mean, I can't, uh, can't throw enough hosannas at him. I mean, that's tremendous. Yeah, we can document this stuff now, you know. <laughs> we, know about that, right? we know for a fact that he got called out on strikes on pitches that were not in the strike zone more than any player in baseball in April. 
And so I, I, I think about going from that to what he then became. Right. His, you know, his weighted runs created plus from the start of May until his back started bothering him, bothering him was one fifty eight. Ouch. And that's amazing <laughs> for a kid who's twenty one years old. Right? Uh, special. Now he's come. He's he's back in the lineup in this series against Detroit. Yeah. Yeah. This is a, these are big two three games for Amen. him to prove. He's back, don't you think? I tell you, um, if he's back, I mean, I like our chances. I'm going to love our chances if he comes back and he can get close to where he was. I'm not, I, you know, let's be fair. I don't expect him to be, you know, what I don't, you can tell me probably what his peak number was. He just did, as a matter of fact. I don't know if he gets that, but if he can get 80% of that as a leadoff guy, make, and then and defensively, Covering gap to gap, Hanniger and right. And I think Kelnick has earned a spot in left field because I think he's a terrific left, a terrific outfielder in general. That's a good outfield. That's a very yeah, good you've seen, Yeah, and, and you've seen yeah, like I, all these guys uh, the course of the season. I mean, is there a description for like what kind of team the Seattle Mariners are? Like what's their style? How do they win? You know, what what what's their makeup? And now you've seen, of course, all their opponents as well. Yeah, they never give up. I'll tell you that. There's no white flag to throw because it's not in their pocket. You know, um, they really do believe in themselves. I mean, I talked. To, I said something to Paul Seawall. He says, "Hey, man, we, you know, we want to make the playoffs. That's great. We want to win the World Series, and we think we can win. As a matter of fact, I know we can win." I was like, "Okay, yeah, all right." <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I thought that was pretty bold. I mean, and he did. He said it without any kind of hesitation. Yeah, he didn't call for anything, you know. It was like, hey, we can do this whole thing, man. So when you hear that, and it and it wasn't just the flighty kind of just saying it to say it to be hit. He said it with conviction. Um, uh, somebody said that Cleveland had a gritty team. I said, well, I said I can show you Grant Grazy some grit too. I mean, that this is a, a team. I mean, you got Matt Brash who was a starter. Can, uh, converted to a bullpen guy coming in throwing a hundred with a vicious slider. You got it. Andres Munoz throwing a hundred, three hundred, four with a 91, 92, just good luck slider. Seawald, <laughs> uh, who had like little and no success with the Mets. When we played the Mets and Gary Cohen, is that the same guy we had? And, <laughs> and he's been lights out for the most part. He's had a hell of a run. Uh, who else? Diego Castillo. They call him the diesel. Um, uh, he's he's had a great run through most of the season, so uh, I mean, I don't know, I bodacious. Uh, I mean, I mean, there's, not, there's a bunch of the pit- I can't use. I, my North Philly's coming out of me right now. I got to be careful what words I want to use, but just yeah, say you have the pitching, right? Would you say that <laughs> that's the strength? And the pitching, yeah. uh, Luis, Robbie, uh, Kirby, Logan Gilbert, Marco Gonzalez. I mean, you're going to focus probably on the three guys, the two, the two young kids, Kirby, the Ryan, New York kid, Logan Gilbert, a Florida kid. You want to talk about fearless. Hey man, let's, let's rock and roll. Let's do this. I love that. We're here. Hey, we're here to play, man. And, and, and you know, it's funny. Uh, th- this is a team that loves the data but always outperforms the data. <laughs> you know, last year nobody could understand how they won ninety games, right. but they did. Uh-huh. And then this year, I, like I know it says they're tenth in the league in runs scored. Uh, 
like they when you look at the 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 players on the field when you look at some of the surrounding metrics they're they're a better offensive team than that and so i guess my question is what is it about them that isn't being reflected by the stuff we ordinarily look at and what does it tell us about what they're capable of in october that they they come up with big knocks you know uh mid mid game maybe down a couple three runs or up a couple three runs the bullpen comes in and holds it if they're down somebody you know carlos santana is, i don't think he's past 220 yet but he's got like <laughs> five or six i think last time i saw one of our, our stat guys he had like seven hits that tied or put the Mariners in the lead. And he said like a buck 97. Yeah. According to the Sunday's game, the A's were last in batting average and we were next to last. <laughs> but yet the Mariners were like fourth or fifth in home runs and led the American League in home runs since August 1. I mean, just crushing balls out of the yard. So I think those are the ingredients right there. I think I'd like to see, and Jason, and you can do a piece on this, August one numbers across the board offensively. I, I would think the Mariners are, you know, of the 30 teams, they're going to be high up there. They're going to be in one of the top quadrants. Ha- have to be. And part of that time is without Julio, which is even yeah, more amazing. Right. Which is astonishing. <laughs> There's just something about him. You know, it's funny you mentioned the, the Santana. I feel like the Carlos Santana trade was this year's Jock Peterson trade. You know, like a team, Ty France had just gotten hurt. And yeah. Jerry just and we're wanted Panic to City too. Yeah, Jerry wanted to send a message. The season <laughs> isn't over. I mean, so he brings a guy in who, I mean, he's not a great player anymore, but he's been there. He's done that. He he's comfortable in the moment. And it if you look at the Mariners record since that day, it feels like that trade had a big impact. Oh, I think Jerry definitely puts his thumb on that. I, I've heard him, you know, talk to him, you know, one to one heard him on other media say that i don't think there's any question that scott almost every all a lot oftentimes talks about the culture that they built a lot of it has made a little turn for more upbeat as we mentioned about gino same with, with carlos and he's always even and when i see him on the field he's over hey how you doing today how you doing we always do a little dap up and you know we just chat how you doing hey, i'm good man everything you know and he checks in with everybody and it's a it, the other group dynamic uh i think of uh how these guys you know a lot not everybody takes infield right before every game we mariners do and before they take infield they do the individual thing a lot of people do this but perry hill was like one of the great drill sergeants of all time yeah and he has those guys they come out they, you know they get down and he's banging balls at short you know short area quickness what do you got he's hitting balls at him and if you know, he's never been sick or anything, but I don't know what what happened if he had to take a day, if he had taken the day off. So that kind of ritual is part of the makeup of this team. It goes back to what you're talking about with Carlos. I mean, there's not you know we don't have a judge that's got 61 home runs, but you know we got a whole bunch of guys. You know, Gino's got 31, uh, Julio's got 28, 29, whatever it is. Cal's got 26. So all of this stuff is is working in with this ball club. It, it's and again going back to the pitching, Doug. Pitching the starters in a bullpen. You know, so how about the you know the legacy players, right? You think about Ichiro, and I mean, have you whether heard from them or how they sort of embrace this season? 
Uh, each row, I haven't seen him lately, but most home stats, he's been here uh, shagging in the outfield. You know, I'll come down, I'll come to the ballpark, and I'll say, who's that? I went, oh, it's he. He's like almost 50 years old. He looks fabulous. And he's still got the throwing arm, if you can believe that. He runs down everything. His body fat's probably the same as it ever was at like 8%. I mean, he's unbelievable. And we, you know, we put him in the Mariners Hall of Fame. He gave a great speech. He just knocked, totally knocked it out of the park. I haven't talked to Junior in a while. And it was interesting. One of the things he, uh, Ken Griffey Jr., we were talking back early in the season, said, we, they need that veteran guy who's going to grab the team by, by its throat if things start to go wrong or need to, you know, pick me up. Well, Suarez and, as we've already discussed, Suarez and Santana are two of those guys right there. That's been a big thing. I've not heard from Felix, but I'm, I'm sure he's smiling wherever he is in Florida, where, wherever the heck he is. Uh, you know, Kyle Seeger, same thing. So, you know, we had a lot of really good players come through here recently that had some just misses. Nelly Cruz comes to mind. I absolutely love him. And uh, he's been, he says he wants to play one more year. But, yeah, I, I'm sure those guys are, have a big smile on their face if you if you bring up the topic of the Mariners. Uh, all right. Now, speaking of legacy, um, I, I was thinking about this. We talked last week to Tom McCarthy and Scott Fransky, the Phillies play-by-play guys, right? And then yeah. we talked to them about following the legend of Harry Callis. A guy they both love and the work two, with. Two, there, Michael Jack Schmidt. Oh God! <laughs> yeah, memories, man. Soundtrack of uh, your lifetime too. So, <laughs> uh, you, you actually have had a very similar experience with the late great Dave Niehaus, and yeah, I wonder, do you still feel Dave's presence? And how do you think knowing him, following in his footsteps, has shaped your career? Um, you know, it's interesting. He is so deep in the mindset of people here. And some of the tweets that I get, you're my second favorite Dave. Uh, <laughs> he really, somewhere Dave is smiling at you for the great job that you've done. My, oh my, I mean, I hear his phrases, and Rick Riz repeat them all the time. Right. Uh, he's he impacted here in Seattle. There's no question about it. When I got here, we used to, I would start on radio with Rick Riz. I'd do the hi, how are you? Rick and I would do three innings. And then in the fourth inning, we'd switch. And Dave, because David started on TV, and we'd pass each other in the hall. And during some of those bad years, <laughs> some of those bad years, he's coming out of the TV booth like right on radio. And I'm like, can you believe this stuff? Ah! And we both like, bro, ah, you can believe this stuff. Ah! Ah! <laughs> we'd have a laugh. And then we'd have uh, we'd have these. He'd tell me these great stories about his days with the Angels, talking about Gene Autry, and again, so some stories we can't repeat, but they're hilarious. <laughs> Back in his days with the Angels, Dick Enberg, Don Drysdale, Uke, and all those guys. Yeah, he he was a beauty. He he was. You got to remember too. <clears throat> for the uh, let's see, 1977, he comes up here. Mariners, you know, uh, franchise starts. Uh, they were rarely on TV in those days. So the only connection people had here, you know, for say out of, a, they might be 15 telecasts during the course of the year. So he is ingrained in the soul of so many people here. And they've like, and they didn't have a winning season until 91. So that's why when you get, even now people still get giddy when they play, you know, the Edgar double, they still react like it just happened five seconds. Ago. But it has, I, I can remember my son called me one time, I think first, second year. He said, yo, dad, they're freaking killed on the internet, on Twitter. 
I said, well, I'm the new guy, I'm the East Coast, I'm a black guy, and working with a, with a, you know, with a guy who is all but just short of being the mayor of Seattle. And over time, you know, on the Sally Day passed in November of 2010. But hey, I'm a Philly guy. I grind. All right. <laughs> and I've I've stuck with it. And now I have people, you know, kids coming up to me now, like Matthew Boyd. We just we got from the Giants, another one of Jerry's oh, yeah, Great guy. <clears throat> oh, super guy. Oh, unbelievable. Just a sweetheart. Dude. Grew up listening to you, man. I can't believe you're going to be calling my games. <laughs> um, Michael Conforto, a few years ago, when he was with the Mets, I was afraid to come over, but I got to tell you, I really like, I, I listened to you when I was a seven-year-old. <laughs> so now I, so I'm getting a lot of this back that I've been here long enough. And I, yeah, I, I think, uh, I think I've been accepted, but I, I didn't let it freak me out that I was, you know, following Dave, but yeah, certainly a legend and a Hall of Famer. And he gave one of the great, induction speeches you know any broadcasters ever given up <laughs> yeah of course he did hey let, let's just talk a little bit about your story because you, you grew up in philadelphia as you've alluded to and you dreamed about being a sports writer did you ever dream this yeah 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 i, I know i wanted to be in sports media because as i've been a jazz phone uh, a while ago i've been a jack all my life i mean i grew up in north philly were on North 20th Street, where I could walk at the, the, the buildings. The it was a two-family had a had a place anyway. I could go out in my front porch and look to my right, look south, and the Phillies are home. The lights are on. I could see the light tower that Dick Allen buzzed on many occasions. <laughs> All right. So I was always going. My father was a worked at the post office, worked himself up into a white-collar job, played softball, ran the softball league, ran the basketball league. And in those days, a lot of those guys were, were, were young black men who had played at HBCUs who were really good athletes. And, you know, of course, and it was it was pretty integrated, too. I mean, we're talking late 50s, early 60s. And as I think back, it was, you know, it was a great amalgam. I still have pictures of that. We had season tickets at Eagles. I used to go see Wilt at Convention Hall. So sports has been in my main, has been like mainstreamed in me since as long as I can remember. Board games and all that, yada, yada, yada. And I was I played high school. I played high school football and basketball. Started four years in baseball, three in football. And I wasn't good enough to be a big time D one player, but I, I had a good high school career. Somebody said, you know, I don't know what you want to do, but you may want to think about being getting the sports media. So I started writing for the paper. Wound up going to a little school in West Virginia. Uh, a Temple recruited me. I'll never forget the guy recruited me. Wayne Harden was still a coach, and the guy that showed me around was bigger than I am. I'm thinking it's Skip Singletary. So he had the, at that time, 6'3", 250. I said, I can't outrun this guy. I'm not coming to Temple to play Penn State. That ain't happening. That ain't happening. No, thank you. Yeah, we need a fullback, an eye fullback. Yeah, we're going to get you up to 230. Ah. Anyway, so I go to Bethany. A turning point in my life, I get an internship as a sophomore at the Inquirer. I got a byline my second, third day. As a matter of fact, the first guy I interviewed was the, the guy I just passed, the, uh, John Bad Dude Stearns. In 19, wow. yeah, I interviewed him as a, and had a story. I met Jimmy Valvano back when he was at Bucknell. So anyway, sports writer. I go to New York after I graduate. I get a job there and then sort of meld in the TV. And I got a chance to do play-by-play -play after I, I did talk radio. And then uh, Temple, I did Temple Radio, which led to ESPN, which led to Westwood One. And then boom, 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 boom. You know, 
And that's how I got here. And, and I, I got a taste of baseball in 93, 94. And I told David Montgomery, we had a Phillies game one time. We, we were at a B-net game. And I said, coach, I call him coach because he had been a, when he was a Penn student, he ran a base, part of a baseball clinic at Chestnut Hill Academy where I went to school. So I said, coach, you know, I want to come back here when the time comes. Yeah, you got to bring me back. And oh, it's perfect. Oh, no, you're a Philly guy. You know, you're, you're bringing you home. It, it never happened. It never happened. <laughs> but it, things have worked out, you know. And and I'm and I think I told Doug this in the history of Major League Baseball. I'm something like the fifth or sixth African American that had his own team. You know, the, the call of games for a team. You know, I think of uh, like Greg Gumbel did the Yankees for a while. Obviously, Bill White. Kenny Singleton, Paul Olden, uh, I think there's one other guy, uh, uh, Billy Sample, and then me. Wow. And that's it in terms of calling games for a big league team. So every Jackie Robinson day, of course, everybody <laughs> wants to talk to me. What's the impact? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I once ran across 7th Avenue to say hello to uh, Mrs. Robinson. We we're, were going opposite ways. I, went, I overtook a knee. I was like, I wouldn't be doing what I do if I if not oh, for I love you and your story. husband. You, you like tractor it out across the street and you. <laughs> oh man, I'm standing there and I said, "Well, that woman looks familiar." I thought it's not family. I went, "Oh my god, it's <laughs> like, and I, I'm 7th and Broadway in New York, and I ran across <laughs> diagonally across the street. And I got killed. And uh, I said, "Mr. Robinson, I said, I just want to say hello. Uh, you know, I'm a broadcaster, blah 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 blah. If it wasn't for you and your husband, oh, she was gracious. <laughs> I scared the hell out of her." <laughs> He was really gracious, and I never forget. So, Dan, and I, but I've always noticed, like, even you know, when we've met and talked over the years, like, mentorship was always important to you, as you mentioned, just being a pioneer, and and you know, how how did you find your your journey, just navigating that, and then also that desire to to give back to others. Well, you know, it was interesting. I being out front doing ESPN over the years, Westwood One. And, you know, if you're a black kid at home and you see another, like I saw Bill White, it's like, oh, my God, maybe this is possible. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's an African-American. Maybe I do have a shot because if he can do it, maybe I can do it. And I've heard from so many guys, young uh, black guys, and a couple of them are really doing well. And I've helped them out. You know, they said, hey, man, can you, can you take my tape and, you know, let it all hang out. Don't hold anything back. And a lot of white guys too. I mean, I I don't I'm not not a one one stop shop in that regard. I mean, if a, if a young young person wants a critique, because I can remember Dick Enberg, Vern Lundquist, Charlie Jones, Marty Glickman was like my rabbi. Uh, all were extraordinarily helpful to me, and I pass it forward, and um, I, I enjoy it. And I, matter of fact, a couple of guys out of Fordham uh, are are doing really well. Uh, in, uh, in New York media and national media. There's a couple of guys in California. There's a kid in Michigan. There's a kid in Missouri that I worked with, a kid in Indiana uh, and uh, Idaho. Um, so I enjoy it. I, gotta I have to pass it forward. And Bill White was always good to me. So uh, it's just, you know, it's just who I am. I think, uh, again, I, you know, I thank God I was raised right. I had, you know, two parents who got it and uh, who, you know, understand the, you know, the meaning of life, you know? Uh, you know, Dave, I know nobody remembers this except you and me, but like 22, 23 years ago, 
back when the young Doug Glanville was playing for the Phillies and I was still working for that Philadelphia Inquirer. Right? You hosted the Sunday TV Phillies pregame and you got stuck. Yeah, you got stuck doing a weekly segment with me. And so I'm pretty sure this is the first show of any kind that we have done together since. And I'm thinking, Boy, that's a good call. Right? Like, how crazy is that? Suppose I told you back then, hey, Dave, I'll see you in 23 years in Starkville. <laughs> and I'll be in Seattle. <laughs> yeah, I'm right? like, like, no shot. <laughs> no shot. I know it's crazy, isn't it? It really does. Things do come back full circle. It's incredible. That's right. Doug, you were on this team when, yeah, when Tito, Tito was there. Yes. Right? And I'll, yeah. I'll be in Cleveland, too, to do the, the wild card. So. I will see him again in another context. <laughs> yeah, I, it's funny. I remember one of those times. I think it was the second year. I said, "Yo, fellas, I can offer more than just doing this." this <laughs> and I said, "I'm not going to move. I know I'm not going to move Harry out or or who is it? Uh, Andy Muster, Wheels, and all those guys." But they said, "All right, we'll, we'll give you a chance to do an interview." So one of the great thrills of my early broadcasting career, bottom of the seventh inning, bottom of the sixth inning here at the vet. Let's go down to Dave Sims with a stage. I'm like, freaking Harry knows my name. <laughs> Let's go down to Dave Sims. That was so cool. That was so cool. I mean, eight, and Harry, Harry was very good to me. I'd see him occasionally on the football trail, see him on the baseball trail and, it was a beauty. It was an absolute beauty. Yeah, what what a guy. I, I look, before I let you go, you, you referenced the Edgar double that sunk yeah. the Yankees back in 95. Yes, Do you sir. remember where you were? Yeah, I was happened? at um, Channel 2, WCBS in New York. And uh, um, <laughs> I, I was working with Cliff Gelbar, producer. And they, God, the Yankees, yeah, they were all the way out here in Seattle. And we were getting... I just remember we were being hassled by the news department and yeah, they didn't pay attention to us at all. I remember the day of one game, the producer says at like eight o'clock in the morning, hey, can you get us into Don Mattingly's house to do a, a live shot? No, <laughs> <laughs> that's not going to happen now. <laughs> 10 minute warning. I mean, come on. Yeah, I, I do remember it was stunning on being at the New York end. It's like, are you kidding me? So yeah, that's, um, it's, 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 yeah, I, re- I remember it, and I've been reminded of it <laughs> a whole hell of a lot here you know, to the point where it makes me crazy. I know it's a great memory for folks here, but it's, you know, that's what I like about what happened Friday. So now when they play, you know, great moments in Mariner history. Yeah, like we can connect the dots now. So I, I was thinking, like, suppose I told you then, the next time the Mariners had one of those moments – you'd be the play-by-play voice of the Mariners. Wow. I tell you, uh, you know, I wish my parents were around to see this. Uh, when I was at MSG Network and we used to simulcast my WNBC show, my father came up and did an Ed McMahon. And, and we had the whole desk, Johnny Carson, Joey Bishop kind of thing. He did an Ed McMahon. And, and I had always taught, told stories about how, you know, growing up and being a sports fan. So, And we had a live audience at the Old Hall of Fame Club at Madison Square Garden. We had 100 people in there. And I'll never forget. And I said, Aaron, it's my dad, Yuli Sims. And people stood and applauded. He started crying. I started crying. It was great. So I can only imagine what he, and he was a, it was a World War II vet, real hard ass, but a softy at heart. He would be flipping out if he knew what had just happened, you know, if he had been around. 
to see what happened Friday night. He and my mom, they would be flipping out. So it would be, yeah, it would be, who knew? I mean, you, you just never know. But, and, but I, I give give them, you know, I'm not super religious, but I'll praise, you know, to the big guy up there and my parents for raising me right and giving me every opportunity. Because they always said, you know, you know, white guys can't do this, they can't do this, they can't do this. Screw that. You want to do it, go for it. And give it, give it your all. Go for it. Pedal to the metal. I don't want to hear any excuses. If you don't get it, at least you tried like a summer and you go for it. And and I can think back. I still think back when, you know, going to games around the country, doing uh, college football and basketball games. And matter of fact, it even happened in Philly one time. And I'm showing my crazy. Hey, what are you here for? You know, it's like, really, dude, you're going to give me attitude? Yeah, I'm here. So where are you going? I'm a sports writer. No, you're not. Yeah, hell I'm not. That happened in a Phillies game one time. Bruce Kyden, oh. late great Bruce Kyden. And a guy gave me a hard time, and I, I maintained my cool. Bruce wanted to kill this guy, and uh, I'll never forget that. And and because I helped, I I maintained my cool. And Bruce reported back to Tim Kelly, who since passed away, the sports editor. And I was in the second year of my internship. I, it was a night I was going down to cover the Phillies, and I got the Phillies lead story. That's just like August of '74, right? But I maintained my cool. And my letter of recommendation or my evaluation letter that went back to my advisor in school was like glowing because I'd done a good job and I maintained my cool under pressure in a situation like that. And I've since seen more of that. You're here to do play by play. Yeah, right, pal. Well, Dave, your your story is special. Your call of that cow Raleigh Homer was special. And I know there's some magic ahead coming up for you and the Mariners. So all I can tell you, it's always Awesome hanging out with you, man. Uh, so glad you're able to make it to Starkville with me here. <laughs> and <laughs> That's I, I missed it last time. I know, right? So I, I hope our paths cross in October. Thank hey, you so hey, man. much. I, I, I appreciate that, fellas. Thanks for the opportunity to come on. Always enjoyed uh, watching you guys, uh, reading you, Jason, watching you, and Doug, great seeing you at San Diego a couple of months ago. And I really appreciate you guys giving yeah. me some time to tell the story. Appreciate it. Thanks yep. so much. Pleasure as always, Dave. Great Thanks so you. much. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the Nano Experience, a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation, all through a barely there poke hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, Nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely, minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash theathletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Postoperative management is patient-specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Yes, it's that time again. Time for listener trivia. Our way of involving you. 
our favorite listeners in this show. And Doug, my counter's correct. It's October, man. It's our finest trivia month of the year. <laughs> At least it was last year. Can we do that again? I'm going to say no. But you're, you're, you're a believer. You, you believe in us for some reason. Sometimes, yeah. I think uh, today, I don't know. Sometimes. Be, well, because the season is shifted because of the lockout. So I think our best week will start next week. But that's all right. Oh. That's just my theory. <laughs> yeah. Okay, suppose somebody actually listens to this on like Thursday or Friday. Then it'll be the postseason for them. But not for that's us. True. That's what you're saying. Yeah. We, we don't right. want to not, peak too soon. Yeah, next that, Tuesday. Okay. We're, we're all over it. All right. That's our story and we're sticking to it. We don't want to peak too soon. Um, you know, we really should be working on a streak of three in a row right now, except somehow <laughs> last week we forgot Bryce Harper's <laughs> whole career. I don't know how, <laughs> but, but we have a fun question this week from a, a loyal listener who has stumped us before. Not that that's an exclusive club, but let's welcome him back. It is Eric Eisenberg. Eric Thanks for joining Thanks. us again in the Starkville yes. Trivia Game Room. Thanks for having me again. Last time I was here, my question, I think, had seven answers. So this time there's only one answer. So I'm trying to help yeah, you guys yeah. out. Glanville has, Glanville has banned all questions with seven answers. Right. So we're going with one answer today. <laughs> so, yeah, well, we, I, maybe I was banned. It wasn't that I banned it. I actually <laughs> just got banned. Wait, I mean, we've learned since the ban that we can get questions wrong no matter how many answers there are. But <laughs> right. I don't know. Least, you know, actually, when there's multiple answers, we feel better because we get Some. at least one or two of them, right? Yeah, we get one or two. Yeah, know. so I yeah. think this we may, may need to revisit this policy at some point. But all right, so, re, so remind us uh, where, where you're from, who you root for, why you're such a trivia fan. Um, all right, so I'm from New York originally, live in Chicago now. Um, I've just always been into trivia, you know, especially sports, baseball. Um, I'm a numbers guy, so I'm all into this stuff. So I, I always listen to you guys, and I, I always try to submit a good question, and I guess you guys like this one, so. Yeah, yeah. You, you, Eric's one of those people out there who every time we ask for questions, we, we hear from them. I always feel bad. Like, they're, you know, you, we, we have a bunch of people like you, Eric, uh, who, like, literally, they hit us with a question every week. And they're good. They're good questions. We just right. can't bring you back every week. No, I understand. Okay. And you have to start paying me, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's not going to happen. <laughs> but we're, we're, we're happy to see you again. Yeah. So well, let, let's hear your question. Sure. And then uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go about getting it wrong. Okay. So you asked who I root for. So I'm from New York, like I said. So I, I grew up watching the Yankees. My dad actually lived... Mm. Uh, across the street from Yankee Stadium in the Bronx. So we've always been, you know, we went to a ton of games. Um, and the reason I bring that up is because Aaron Judge, of course, has tied Aaron uh, Roger Maris for the American League record for home runs. So my question is more of a major league record. Who was the last player to lead the entire major leagues in home runs in back-to-back -back seasons? Okay, so he has to, he can't just lead Not one just one league, league. it's got to be the entire major leagues. Back-to-back. Uh, okay, and here's the thing we were uh, kicking around before we brought you in. Uh, is this a trick question? <laughs> Doesn't seem like it'd be, it could be that. I mean, it's not it somebody be. from like the 1870s. You know, it's, oh, you've heard of the okay. guy. Okay, I know that. Yeah, I, I, well, all right. Okay, like it's not I, a trick question. I, I, no, there's no trick. It's yeah. You know. It just okay. Do, 
Right. Now, Doug, I know that Mark McGuire did this in 1997 and 98. So that, to me, means either he is the answer or it's someone since him from the last couple of decades. So what we have to do is think about the big home run hitters of the last couple of decades. Um, what could go wrong? <laughs> okay, so uh, Barry Bonds. Uh, but I, I, he only led the league the year he hit 73, so it can't be him. Uh, Jim Tomei is another one. I'm almost sure he never did that. Sammy Sosa is tempting, but the funny thing is about all the years he hit 60, someone else hit 62. Um, so other than 1999, I don't know if he ever led both leagues, but we can keep him filed away. Uh, Ryan Howard is a guy who had a period there for like four years where he averaged... I think 50 homers or close to 50 homers. So he's a possibility. And then who would be the other names? A-Rod, Griffey. Um, like Griffey's peak was during the McGuire-Sosa peak. Uh, A-Rod spanned a lot of these guys. Uh, Frank Thomas, Albert, Miggy. Like me personally, I think it's either McGuire, A-Rod, or Ryan Howard, but I'm not, I'm not sure, as usual. So what, what do you think, Doug? Uh, I don't think I'm going to be that helpful in this oh, particular good. endeavor. Great. Uh, but, um, <laughs> I mean, I could add names just to make it harder. Um, good. I mean, Perfect. I thought, well, I figured one way to, you know, play the game and improve our odds is to just name Fielder. Just say Fielder. And we could leave it open whether it's Cecil or Prince. But or that somebody gives us... who plays one of the fields. Yes, so I thought that was kind of cool. Um, I mean, I don't know about David Ortiz. I don't think he really led. Uh, John Carlos Stanton did he did he pull that off? John, I mean, uh, he, we know he led one 59, year. Fifty nine, didn't he come? I, yeah, you know, you know I, he was on my he was on my original list. I don't know why I forgot to say him. Uh, he definitely did it once. Yeah, question, so this would have been he would have had to do it in Miami, right? But he that's right. That's I don't. I don't Health Not issues? Was one, he right? healthy enough? I don't know. Yeah, it's, I don't know. it's a good name, though. A, Excellent good name. name. All right, good name. What about, like, Chris Carter? Didn't he, like, sneak in there and oh, <laughs> went, it, hit a home run? He led a league. and <laughs> it's There's no way he had two years. Chris Carter, but Chris Davis, one of the Chris, Chris. Davises. Ooh. <laughs> what, what a bad You double your odds by saying Chris Davis. <laughs> That's right. True. See, see the, the fielder the, thing, the, your timing is off Davis. on Cecil, but the Chris Davis thing, now we can just be vague, right? Just say, yeah, it's, it's the other one. The one. <laughs> I think it's somebody bigger than that, though. Oh, but, my but, gosh. But, I mean, anyway. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, Howard sound, Ryan Howard sounds pretty good. Uh, and I feel like, you know, it would be great for, like, to stick it to us Phillies pe Philly people, you know. To slip in a Philly answer and us miss it, like we did with Bryce Harper. <laughs> oh, I see. I, so I, I, I don't have a lot of confidence. I, I, I feel like I don't want to go against your grain. I mean, you know, you, you're for sure with McGuire. At least you know it might be. I don't know. Yeah, like the fact. All right, so if we here's the okay, here's what our strategy would be. If we answered McGuire, at least we mm -hmm. know that that's correct. It's just the wrong years. If we answered <laughs> Ryan Howard, it would be to try to convince. The, the, the listeners that we have left from Philadelphia that we still pay attention. <laughs> that, that's what you got in mind? 
<laughs> oh man, it's like Howard. It sounds so good. Right, you, you 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 pick. I don't know what the heck. I don't. I don't. Th- I don't have any confidence. I have none. Um, <laughs> McGuire. I mean, it, it's it's like. Yeah, I mean, I I just if you have a bird in hand, I'd rather be wrong, um, in terms of like the fact that we got the actual, you know, the information right and got it just the wrong year. Or yeah, I think that's uh, a, a better. Uh, I know it's uh, a very failure approach there, but <laughs> I don't really know. Okay, I get it. So uh, the good news is we only need one answer. The bad right, news so, is we have no idea what the answer is. So well, let's just get it over with. Uh, Eric, is there any chance? that it's Mark McGuire from 1997 and 98. So I think McGuire actually did it four years in a row, not 100%, but I think that's true, but he is not the most recent to do it back to back. So you named Chris Davis and Ryan Howard. I think both of them did it twice in a three-year span, but never back to back. Okay. There's somebody more recent than McGuire that you have not named, by the way. You named a ton of great players, of course, but there's actually <laughs> one name you have not, or probably more than one name, but there's... It's a, the, so <laughs> I'll just, just give you a couple of hints, okay? Yeah, right. yeah, we like so that. So first of all, his first year that he did this, that he led the majors in home runs, his total was 38 home runs higher than his previous best. So he kind of, <laughs> it was out of nowhere. And then he did it two years in a row. Is this Luis Gonzalez? No, but that's a good. He never. It's a good. Uh, yeah, thirty-eight more home runs. He never. Yeah, he yeah. never led the league in homers. Probably not back to back. And then he just. And then he out of nowhere he hit thirty-eight more home runs than the year before. Yes. And then no, not the year before. Than his previous best. I think he was twenty-nine years old. Uh, oh, his previous best. Yeah. Wow, thirty-eight. Okay, I can throw you another clue. Okay, it's not like it's like this is like a Max like, Muncy type thing, but it's not him. Yeah, we didn't need another hit. Another hit. Thirty-eight he more will, home runs. That's a lot of home runs. He will probably be remembered, if not already. He will probably be most remembered for two incidents oh. on the field. Batista? Is it Batista? Yes, Jose Batista. Oh, oh very good. <laughs> very, exactly. very good. So he did that in 2010 and 2011. Oh, God, how did we wow. forget that? <laughs> well, that was kind of why I asked yeah. the question. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. Did we just get it right or not? Yeah. You got it right. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't say the name Bautista. Doug got it right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I eventually. All right. So, so, so the mayor. Do, but... Okay. The mayor is shaking his head. Eric is <laughs> is saying, yes, we did. We we need a ruling. Let's, I, does this, wait, does the mayor get to rule in his own appeal? <laughs> I mean, we, I, our, our I Supreme, think there's Supreme a limit Court dissolved to, last week. There's a limit to clues. And I think we passed the limit. For clues, why? you guys well, gave an limit? answer. You were wrong. Here's why I'm not going to give you credit because you listed like 15 guys, and none of them were Jose Batista. If if he had been one of the guys, and then with a clue, you're like, oh, Jose Batista, then maybe. <laughs> yeah, the 38 home. Wow, 38 home. It's good. One. I can't give you this one unless right, Eric we'll, has really strong we'll, we'll feelings. Put a, we'll about put a statue because he's the one who asked the question. So if he, I mean, I guess if he wants to give it to you, uh, we'll, we'll, give you uh, we'll give you a half a point. How about that? You did get it without me naming anybody, but yeah, that was fun. Yeah, it was. It was, yeah. it was a tough. Okay. One. I'll take. No, I'll take a half a statue. Nah, I wouldn't we'll have asked him if it was McGuire. So. <laughs> no, no, we're we're like we're we're not taking half points. Right, we're not. There you go. No, uh, that's well, keeps some integrity. Like, <laughs> yeah, there's no there's no there's no ties in trivia. All right. Okay. Either you got it or you. I was just trying to help out. All right, so we're 
Oh, no, yeah, I like I, that. yeah, that was good, Eric. You'll be back. Oh, right. <laughs> hey, we like we we enjoyed thrashing around, getting it wrong. I have to admit that we enjoyed the clues, so we feel better because we did finally come up with the name, but we got it wrong. So, all right, so look, so this is our final show of the regular season. That's right. I think that we should announce our regular season record. I, I, I think we are in first place. I, I know I, that. I already first know that. place, yeah, but that's. In Starkville, we are in first place. See, I think that's that that, that would be misleading. I actually <laughs> did the math. Believe I, it or okay, not, I, I think we're five and twenty-two. Is that right? Five four. See, you said five and. I think it's five four twenty-three. No, there's no there's five, 20, four, twenty-seven or twenty-eight weeks in this season. Yeah, but we didn't do trivia every week. We didn't. Five four. No. Yeah, that's oh, like five a, for five for batting twenty-three. Average. That's what I got. It's not bad, you know. You know, we right, we well, didn't hit two. We hit above the Mendoza line. We hey, did. These days, in the off season, average, right? This is you were eight of twelve. This, yeah, these days, if we slug six hundred, yeah, exactly. that's a great season. Okay, so we were eight so, of twelve during the postseason and the off season, but we're five of twenty-three. That's terrible. That's terrible. Yes, admit it, Glenville. Five, well, it, it is five, above. That's it is terrible. above the Mendoza line. It's we terrible. It's and today, bad. look, today the average batting average is like two thirty. Yeah, yeah as long as you're slugging. So I think we, I think we have a high slugging percentage. Our OPS is off the charts, and our exit Plus velocity the, uh, is incredible. The lack of we're, next year, you guys are going to be like, out. You know, we're like Franchi Cordero. We look good and playing terrible. So, <laughs> but let me tell you what's never terrible. That's the part of this segment where the mayor changes the subject just in time by playing. <laughs> Another great play-by-play clip involving this week's answer. And I'm just going to take a wild guess <laughs> that this is going to be a Jose Bautista play-by-play, play-by-play clip. Did I get that one right at least? You punched, are though. correct. It is not coming from 2010 <laughs> or 2011, though. I listened to some. His 50th in 2010, not a bad call. But this is the guy. With the greatest bat flip yes! in baseball I was, history. I was hoping you'd play this. So let's go back to the game five. I wanted the American punch, League like, Division Odor. Series 2015. like harold was waiting to use that line for like three seasons and finally had it no, that's 100 percent true um remember during the pandemic i was we were killing time trying to figure out how we were going to write about baseball when there was no baseball played and i was running those strange but true retrospectives and all these crazy things from baseball history that was the next one i'd started to interview people about it because that was also the the game of the weird like Russell Martin throw back to the pitcher that hit the bat and the run scored. And <laughs> oh, was yeah, nuts. that was weird. Elvis so Andrews, much. there was some crazy It was plays. all like, it, it, it all happened in like one inning. It was the most, it was the nuttiest postseason inning ever. And that was, it was going to be such a fun thing to write. But uh, next pandemic, I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> or or the some 10 year time. anniversary is only three years away. So. <laughs> okay, there you go. There you go. That's hey, it. Eric, such a great question. Uh, yeah. Simple. Yet so hard. So, so thanks for coming up with it. Yeah, thanks uh, for having me. 
Okay. Please come back again soon with lots of hints. Okay. And if you're listening out there and you'd like to do what Eric just did and be part of this show, guess what? We'll tell you how to do that in just a few minutes. Strange but true. So, Doug, it's time for the final Strange but True segment of the regular season. And I, I thought this was obvious because it was so strange, yet so true. <laughs> this was last Tuesday during Mets and Marlins when Marlins relief pitcher Richard Blyer took the mound. And he made the all-time Strange but True balking history uh, let, let, we have to hear this because it is just so bizarre. Yeah, that's a strike. He thought it was low. And he called yeah. another balk. So he balks in a run. And now it's 6-4. to four. Three balks in the inning committed by Richard Blyer. I have never seen anything like that in my life. And now Donnie's going to get himself thrown out. I've never seen a pitcher who had never balked in his career get called for three in the course of one at bat. That's just beyond the pale. And you can understand why Donnie, in his last week of managing the Marlins, is going to get his money's worth here. Yes, Richard Blyer, in this game, just committed not one, not two, but three balks during the same at bat. John (laughs) Tim Payne, I hope that's how you pronounce it, The first base ump invoked the ghost of balking Bob Davidson, and he once he called one balk, he just kept calling him. So I thought we should review why this was so strange, and yet so true. Uh, First off, Richard Blyer is now in his seventh season pitching in the big leagues. He's faced nearly 600 hitters in all that time with runners on base, and how many balks? Had he been called for when he was pitching to any of those other nearly 600 hitters? That's correct. That would be none. And then John Tim Payne called three balks on him in the same at-bat. Okay, moving along here. He was the first pitcher to get called for three balks in one inning in 34 years. Jim Gott was the last one back in 1988. But hang on there, man. This is going to get better. So this happened with Jeff McNeil on the bases. And I figured Jeff McNeil got to ride the balk cycle, right? He was first to second on one balk, second to third on the second balk, third to home on the third balk. Uh, The Elias Sports Bureau looked into this one for us. He was the first player to reach base and then ride that balk cycle all the (laughs) way around the bases since Billy Williams for the Cubs on oh May goodness. 4th, 1963. It was almost oh 60 years ago, right? Who did that? Oh, my goodness. Right. Okay. But now, the fact that it all happened in the same at bat, this is a first in modern baseball history because no pitcher had ever gotten called for three box in the same at bat. So I was thinking, like, how can I put this in perspective? All right? So... You know, I can do this. I, I, Doug, do you know that John Lester, remember him, right, faced nearly 11,500 hitters in his big league career? Well, like, the, all, Think of all those runners on base. They were all trying to drive him crazy. 
right? And yet, in all that time, he got called for one balk. And Richard Blyer just got called for three balks while facing one heater. And so, Doug, let me ask you, what the heck are we doing? Like, I hate the balk. I hate it. Well, what was... You played uh, nine years in the big leagues. What was your greatest adventure in balking? While I mean, I, I, you know, I, because of this momentous occasion, I completely drew a blank because I don't think anything <laughs> could possibly measure up. That's true. So I, so everything that happened in my my past balk history was therefore erased because it could not measure to the standard, the alien standard of of uh, Richard Blyer. Blyer, mm-hmm. that's three balks, uh, one batter. Yeah. Um, I, I actually I see it as an honor if I was a base dealer if I was Jeff McNeil I think that is a tribute and you should build some sort of memorial to being balked around the bases the intimidation that you want to give yourself credit for having and scaring the pitcher into that many mistakes I think that's amazing I think you deserve not only a home run uh, RBIs and a triple I think you should get a home run and a triple and RBIs on that play for going all the way. Like, Jeff McNeil deserves that. You're driving it's himself a, in by Yeah, he drove himself there. in by scaring. It's like kind of like a pantomime. You know, you're, you're like miming. I think you, you are, you've turned the pitcher into a mime. And in all the moves, you realize that he dropped the ball three times. Uh, you know, it's like Johnny Cueto. It's, it's that level. But that was the fans, so we got to give them credit. So I, I, I love this as a base, base stealer because your goal was to disrupt and caused chaos in the pitcher's mind. And occasionally you, you threw him off. And that that was like, you know, a bonus. I would, it was even better than a stolen base in some ways. But in this case, I, I'd like to give a home run, a triple, a stolen base, and an RBI All right, to so Jeff let, McNeil. Let, let, let me clear this up. So you like you think the balk rule, that's a good rule? You, you do? Uh, in spirit, yes, <laughs> I do. I think you should not be trying to deceive. I know like deceive is a little broad, but uh, you shouldn't be doing something so tricky like, you know, step to third and then throw to first. He didn't you didn't do know, that. Uh, yeah, no, but, you know, that idea. <laughs> you got to have some rule about so they don't do but some But he didn't wild... do that. No, that's true. But other stuff, he, there's he... got to be something. <laughs> you got to have a balk no. for those moments. Not, yeah. not necessarily these, but, you know, quick pitching. Yes, I think there needs to be some form of balk. I don't know. You know, like I said, it, it goes off the rails a lot. I agree with that. But I do think you should not be able to like do kind. Con- you know, I remember Curtis Lascanic. Let me give you one of the better box that I saw. Desi Relliford and I laughed so hard. I think you know we couldn't even stop laughing. But Curtis Lascanic, he was he's always quick pitching. So he came set. He threw the pitch in. I, I forgot who was on first. Maybe I don't know who was on first. But anyway, so he he came. So just imagine leaning in on the rubber without the ball, right? Catcher throws the ball to Laskanek. He halfway the ball to him. He starts to lift his leg in the windup, <laughs> catches the ball as he's winding up, and throws the next pitch. No way. I, I, I think someone literally in downtown Denver called the balk and didn't see it on television. That's how obvious it was. I mean, all I've never seen all four umpires call the balk at the same time. He literally used the throw from the catcher to start his windup. His leg was off the ground. And it was like, I mean, Desi and I, I don't think we stopped laughing. So somewhere we got to find this video. So that is one of the greater box I've ever seen because it was so blatant and so obvious that everybody, like the whole stadium called Bach. Like it was undeniable. And this was in Colorado. Yeah, okay. So well, Richard um, yeah. Blair didn't do any of that. He, no, he, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't. But, 
but that was entertaining. So, <laughs> so my point being is that you can't do that. So you need a Bach for that. Not saying what Blyler did, but I'm just saying that is what you have to have some rule to prevent the Curtis Liskanek situation uh, where you're literally winding up so the guy couldn't possibly steal because you're uh, just about the catcher throwing the ball back to you. You're on the rubber. Instead of even catching it, you slap it back to the catcher. You literally like hit it like high lie back to the catcher. You can't have that. That's a balk. There's no such thing as a Curtis Liskanek situation. It's yeah, I like situation. that. Because it never had, like it never never saw anything like that and haven't seen anything like it since if it was a situation yeah. thing it would be happening and we need a rule against it just one guy had a had a brainstorm where he was <laughs> got a quick pitch without the ball i got I, I admire the creativity but in general i don't admire the balk rule here's here's what i would say to you the balk What's rule it? is an absolutely ridiculous rule and it needs to go but, well, what do you put in place of that? What do you do? Uh, I, it, you, you just let you pitchers know, do like whatever. You, 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 they, <laughs> you're, they're not like there. There's, I, there's no base stealing, <laughs> so there's no need to deceive the runner. There, there's bigger bases now. We, we're having the maybe next year. Base. All right, well, all right. I'll, okay, I still think. All right, well, I'll, next year when there's base stealing again, <laughs> we'll revisit this. Right now, this particular rule, it needs to go, Doug. And you know who else needs to go? That would be us. <laughs> so that's going to do it for this week's show. We'll be bringing you podcast magic just like this all postseason long on the Athletic Baseball Show, which is available in its entirety, absolutely free, everywhere you get your podcasts. You know what else, Doug? If you would like to read any of the fantastic writing in The Athletic, it's easy to do. Just go to theathletic.com slash baseball show. And if you're a new subscriber, you can subscribe for just $1 a month for the next six months. So don't be tweeting back at me. Oh, I'd like to read this. It's behind a paywall. It costs $1 a month. Okay. It's not even a quarter a week. It's, a, it's the deal of the century. But also, one more thing. You too can be part of this podcast. Every show we pick a fun listener trivia question, just like Eric Eisenberg's question. Then that listener gets to join us right here and toy with us. Prove once again, there's almost no baseball trivia question we can't get wrong. So how can you be part of the show? Good question. You can email us at Starkville at theathletic.com or there's always the Twitter route. Is there any way for someone to contact Say Doug Glanville via the Twitter route. Oh yeah, I'm very accessible, and you just use my name. Pretty boring. At Doug Glanville, D O U G G L A N, and as a Nancy, that is V is in Victor, I L L E. Hit me. I say, hit. He says, hit me. Careful. And then I am at Jason S T. But just remember to spell my name with a Y, J A Y S O N S T. Please hashtag the questions. Hashtag Starkville Q S. Also remember, don't answer other people's questions directed at us causes nothing but trouble. So Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to Dave Sims for visiting us. Thanks to Eric Eisenberg for the great trivia question. Thanks to the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, for producing us and putting up with us, even though we disallowed our trivia answer. And thanks to you all for listening. Tomorrow is a roundtable day here on the Athletic Baseball Show. And Doug and I 
We'll see you next week. On Darkville. Darkville. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.